Now we are moving into the, the time of our first speaker that we have for this service and just really excited for you to be able to hear from her. Shannon Reese is going to be sharing with us. She is our director of women's ministries here and she's an incredible uh, communicator, woman of God and leader. And I'm excited for you to hear from her more about our fears when it comes to discipleship. So as you turn to page 26, give a warm welcome to Shannon Reese. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. You've heard a lot of questions asked already today, but I have a question for you that I hope to address a little bit in the next 15 minutes. And the question is this, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? My public confession to you today is that I have a fear that I haven't spoken publicly before, but I'll share it with you this morning, and that is, I am afraid of swimming in open water. That's why I was never a surfer. Um, I don't really even like to boogie board. I snorkel with my husband because he loves it, but it terrifies me. So a couple years ago, we were on a trip, and he said, would you please go with me swimming in open water where there will happen to be sharks in the water, and we'll get to swim with them? And I thought, oh my goodness, what is he thinking? But because I love him, and, and he wanted to do it, I decided that I would go along. I didn't commit to actually getting in the water at that point. I just committed to get on the boat. So we got on the boat, we went with a tour guide out to what is affectionately called Shark Alley, where they begin to tell you about all these really beautiful things that swim in the waters below so far offshore. And as we were sitting in the boat, I began to um, grow in my fear. I was afraid I was going to lose a limb. I was afraid my children would grow up without a mother. I was afraid that my husband would lose a limb. Honestly, like I, my simple fears were that we would get in the water together and that I would reach over for him and he would not be there. Because when we do snorkel, I have to touch him the whole time or else I start to hyper, hyperventilate. Um, so I was having all of these fears and yet the tour guide and my husband together were trying to tell me, you don't need to be afraid. You just need to step out of the boat. And I was thinking to myself, okay, I get that. I need a little bit more. And they started to say, well, think about the stories you'll have to tell. Think about the experience you're going to have that none of your friends will have. And this will be life-changing. I thought, okay, you're beginning to get me there. And so thinking about the things that they had just shared, I did what I never thought I would do. And I stepped out of the boat into shark-infested waters. I'll tell you the next, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes was amazing absolutely amazing. I'd reach over. He was there. I was good. Every once in a while, I'd start to hyperventilate, but I was okay. I made it. And I will tell you, it was one of the most cool things I'd ever done and a great story to be able to tell my kids, to encourage them. You can do things that you're afraid of doing. Just step into the water. What does that have to do today when we talk about discipleship? Today, we're talking about this great fear and I think a lot of us come today and we hear about discipleship and something's holding us back. What's holding us back? For many of us, it's fear. Fear is what's keeping us from stepping into the waters and deciding to disciple somebody else. What are we afraid of? 
This is not an all-inclusive list, but it's a list none the same. We're afraid of the unknown. How is this relationship going to change my life? We're afraid that maybe we're not going to have the answers to the questions that were asked. We're afraid that the curriculum we pick or the the questions we ask aren't going to be the right ones, and what are we going to do then? We're also afraid of change. How is this going to change my life? It's going to expand my circle a little bit, or or there's going to be new people in my life, or, or maybe I'll actually start to like this person, and they'll want to come to Thanksgiving dinner and sit at our table. That will totally change the dynamics. I'm afraid of change. Maybe we're afraid of a change in our schedule. Gosh, what if they want to meet at like 9 o'clock? That's when my show comes on. And I don't have TiVo. (laughs) We're afraid of change. We're also afraid of being irrelevant. You might be sitting here thinking today, well, I would disciple someone, but I don't know how to Instagram. I don't wear skinny jeans. Am I going to be relevant? Will I have anything important to say to them? We're also afraid of being disliked. Such a universal concern of ours. We're afraid of being misunderstood, that maybe the generational idioms that we like to use will not be understood by the person that we're sitting across the coffee table from. Some of us are afraid today that we're too young to disciple somebody. I haven't lived long enough. Maybe we think we're too young. And some of us think we're too old. We're afraid that we're all washed up, have nothing left. We're afraid, and those, fir- those fears keep us from stepping out into the waters of discipleship. But I think one of the greatest fears, if we really were honest, is this fear of being known, this fear of being vulnerable enough to let somebody into our lives, to see the messes that we've made, to hear about our failures, to hear about some of our successes even. We're afraid of being known. The great discipleship fear is the one that keeps you from entering into a discipleship relationship out of obedience to Christ. That's the greatest discipleship fear for you. And if today fear is holding you back, I want to encourage you to consider stepping out of the boat of fear and into the waters of discipleship. There's a story that Matthew includes in the Gospels for us. If you want to turn there, it's in Matthew 14. It's such a great story because it has to do with Jesus and his disciples. They'd ministered all day together. And at one point, Jesus says, you all get in the boat. You go across the water to the other side. I'm going to spend a little bit of time here and I'll meet you over there. Jesus goes up to the mountain and he spends time with his father in prayer. And after that, he comes down to the shore And he looks across the water, and he sees the boat, I'm sure, a ways off. And it was the middle of the night, so it was still dark. And without a jet ski or a speedboat to catch up with them, and sandals on his feet, he probably thought the quickest way to get there is the shortest distance between two points, right? So Jesus did what only Jesus had done, could do, and he walked on the water. He walked across the water in the dark, moonlight shining on the water, I'm sure kind of reflecting up onto him. And this is what happens. Matthew records it in Matthew 14, 25. It says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. 
But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it's I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. The only two people we know in the history of the world that walked on water, Jesus and Peter. In that moment, Peter had a decision to make. Am I going to trust Jesus when he says to come? Or am I going to sit here and be afraid? In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. How do we reconcile this life-giving Jesus and this call to come walk on the water? Somehow, Peter realized That if Jesus says, I've come to give you life, that walking on the water is going to be part of experiencing the great life. Peter was the only disciple who had a story to tell after that, wasn't he? Of actually getting out of the water, this fullness of life that he experienced with Jesus that nobody else did. Wow. You think the other disciples in the boat were like, bummer. That would have been really cool. But look what happens next. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. It says, and and I imagine in that moment that Peter's eyes were so fixed on Jesus, right? And he's taking step after step after step. And then he hears the wind. It doesn't say he heard the wind, but it says he saw the wind. And I imagine that he took his eyes off Jesus and looked around at the wind. And as soon as he started to do that, Scripture tells us that he began to sink. Immediately in verse 31... Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I love this story, especially when we're talking about our fears, because Jesus is calling each one of us to come to him. He wants us to to experience an abundant life. And that abundant life is experienced in the context of obedience and being obedient to what he has to tell us. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, I so believe that our faith is going to overcome our fears. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our faith is going to overcome our fears. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, I'm so glad we have Jesus as the great disciple maker to keep our eyes fixed on. Because as we choose to step out in obedience, to become disciple-makers ourselves. We have him as a model to look at. A little um, often overlooked verse that I love in John 1. John 1, 39, it says, Jesus said, come. He was telling his disciples, they were asking, where are you staying? He says, come. And they came, therefore, and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. You look at that and you go, okay, what's the principle? What's the point? I don't get it. For me, as a person who's desiring to disciple others, to follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus, this is just a little picture into Jesus' humanity and vulnerability and openness. He doesn't say, hey, come follow me and I'll meet you tomorrow morning. He says, come follow me and let me show you where I live. Let me bring you into this life with me. Come, he said. 
Jesus also said, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. And we know that this great call to discipleship is a little terrifying because we wonder if we have what it takes to be modeled, to be the model of a Christ follower. Jesus was so perfect, and we think, how can we ever live up to that? Which is why I so love that the New Testament gives us Paul as an example as well. Paul had lived this life of religiosity, a Pharisee among Pharisees. And yet an encounter with Jesus changed his life so dramatically that he couldn't help but be transformed in every single way. So transformed that he went from place to place making disciples. We don't see the word disciple used a whole lot by Paul, but we see spiritual son. And he was the spiritual father. And this idea of perpetuating a spiritual heritage, a legacy passed down, that he gave himself as an example to be followed. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. How often do we put ourselves as the example for other people to follow? But Paul had figured it out enough, was committed enough to following Jesus, obeying what he had to say, and helping others follow Jesus, that he said, Jesus isn't here anymore, but you can look at my life, and you can follow my example, because I'm following Jesus. So this is kind of an earthly representation of how Jesus would live right now. Follow our example, he said. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our example. He said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. We could flip that around a little bit to, to say something like, As I imitate Christ, you can imitate me. Sometimes I think one of our greatest fears is that if we were really honest with ourselves and how we're living our lives, that we would really honestly say we're not living a life worthy of imitation. And that's our our bottom line problem. So in order to be disciple makers, we need to address that with the Lord. We need to figure out what needs to be fixed and ask God to come and help fix that for us. Enter into relationships where we have people who are discipling us so that we can learn how to follow Jesus better and also be helping others learn how to follow Jesus. We referred to this verse over and over again because it talks about how you and I are the next generation of great disciple makers. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples. You and I are being called to be the next generation of great disciple makers. What would happen if each of us today said, it doesn't matter how old I am. It doesn't matter what I wear. It doesn't matter what I listen to. It doesn't matter where I live or what job I have, but I have a relationship with Jesus that has transformed my life and I'm willing to step out in faith and share my life with somebody else. I'm willing to find somebody who doesn't yet know him like I do and help grow them up in the knowledge of God. What would happen if just the people in this room said, I'm going to look for somebody who hasn't known Jesus as long as me, and I'm going to invest my life into them? Not only would Calvary Church be a different place, but Santa Ana would be a different city. Orange County would be a different county. 
We have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the potential of changing the world around us. And yet so many of us sit in this fear boat and we don't do what we've been called to do. Jesus is saying, go, go, make disciples. I've already told you that I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Part of doing that is going and making disciples. If you want to live an abundant life, be obedient to the words God gives us to do. To go and make disciples and experience life in a way that you have yet to experience before. In the same way that I jumped into the waters with the sharks. You will be jumping into relationships. Jumping into the lives of other people and seeing God at work in a way that you never imagined possible. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, our faith can help us overcome our fears. And in the moment when we take our eyes off of him and look around at the wind, I so believe Jesus is going to be there to grab our hand. Say, come on, let's go, let's keep, let's keep going. That he's there for us. What an amazing opportunity we have today to consider what's holding us back so that we can become the great disciple-makers that Jesus has called us to. My encouragement to you today is to consider what's keeping you in the boat. Figure out what is stopping you from stepping into the water of a discipleship relationship. Because there's somebody in this church who needs you. There's somebody in this church who needs you to come alongside as a brother as a sister, as a spiritual mom or dad, maybe even a spiritual grandparent of sorts. And we can't let fear hold us back. I want you to take a couple minutes now that I've done the talking, and I want you to look into your journal and take a peek at some discussion questions on page 27. You'll have just a few minutes to kind of form a couple groups of, I don't know, four or five around you. There's about four questions on that page. You're not going to get to all of them. But maybe pick the one that for you is significant enough to answer. And I want to encourage you to do that now.